Hey, welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. This is Gabe BC, your host. The summer is winding down now. I'm back teaching in the classroom. Well, I'm actually not teaching in the classroom. I am virtually teaching through Zoom, which is interesting. People can see the inside of my house all the time. Uh, I don't like using those virtual backgrounds because it cuts off part of my hair. So um, I'm very worried about my Zoom image, you know. Um, but <laughs> it's been great to be back and teaching students again, talking about art and tech and just concepts and thinking about how we can make work that betters the world during this crazy time. Um, today, we have an amazing artist on the podcast. Uh, Saxafridi is the guest. He's an artist who works in sci-fi Sufism. Uh, and also he created a series called Space Mosque. So we're going to talk about what all of that is. Uh, if you're interested in storytelling, you're going to really like this episode. And also the idea of new versions of design based on stories. Um, so this episode is also the last episode produced by our producer, Vanessa Wilson, who is moving on to bigger and better things. Uh, so I just want to say thank you to Vanessa for being an amazing producer the entire time that I've been here. And also before I got to be the host on this podcast. So Vanessa's been amazing to work with over the year that I've been working on this podcast and, uh, you know, helps to find guests and just amazing outlines for these interviews and just is an all around great person to talk with. So Vanessa, thank you so much for working on State of the Art with me for so long. And uh, in the next episode, we'll talk about our new production for this podcast. Uh, hopefully we're going to go to new and interesting places in the upcoming episodes. But this episode also talks about new and interesting Visions of the future, I would say, uh, or visions of the past, too. We're going to talk about a story that inspired a body of work uh, for Saxa Freedy. Uh, so stay tuned for a really interesting episode. You can always follow us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter, or send me an email to gabe at thestateoftheart.org. So let's start off the show today and welcome Saxa Freedy to the podcast. Sax, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to get into talking about specific works, but maybe we can start with your background, your creative background, and your trajectory into advertising, and then the current creative spaces that you work now. Yeah, absolutely. I um, basically started getting into uh, this idea of uh, wanting to uh, express notions and you know thoughts and concepts, uh, and I was fascinated with the, the the thirty second format. I used to be a graphic designer. Uh, in the late 90s, and uh, a friend of mine, Ali Rez, who was an art director in advertising at the time, uh, used to make these fun commercials and get to do these really interesting things. So I uh, basically kind of followed his lead and um, went to the Academy of Art to study advertising. Hmm. While, it, while I didn't really get a full, uh, like a four-year degree or anything, uh, I went in there and I kind of did a little barter with them on trying to uh, just take like the, the, the most uh, advanced level classes that they had to offer so I could build a portfolio. And they were kind enough to do that. Um, so I um, got a portfolio together and uh, then that sort of like uh, got me into advertising. And uh, I got an advertising, my first advertising job was not even in the US, it was in Dubai. Oh, so, wow. Um, I had uh, done these uh, student films or these student commercials and uh, the Academy of Art um, submitted them to the Clio Awards and a couple of them won uh, a gold and a silver. Uh, so that kind of uh, was very helpful because I had a bunch of people afterwards asking me if I'd like to work with them 
which was very flattering and very cool at the same time and just sort of catapulted me into advertising. Uh, and I, so I'm, I'm, I moved to Dubai and thought it was something that was uh, kind of an interesting thing to do. I'd also recently just gotten married mm-hmm. and my wife is Palestinian. So uh, it made sense to, you know, um, check out uh, life in the Middle East. And I'm originally from Pakistan uh, and it's closer to Pakistan. So I tried that out. And creatively, I thought it was um, uh, pretty good uh, for a couple of years. It got a little stifling after a while, but uh, I think creativity can be made and found everywhere. But um, along the way from then until around 2000 and I want to say 2013 or so, uh, I I just would go to museums and I would go and see art and I would see all these interesting expressions and things people could make outside of advertising that was in art. And so I started making little art projects on the side here and there. And there reached a point when I had so much brewing inside of me in 2013, um, by which point I'd moved back to New York and I was working um, as a creative director uh, at an agency in New York called Merkley and Partners. Um, I decided to, to leave that and to pursue art full time. Wow. And what, was, is, uh, what, what were some of your early advertising pieces like? Like, I'm kind of curious if there's any sort of overlap to the work that you're doing now. Uh, I think there's overlap in process mm-hmm. and the way I work with other people and the way I collaborate with other um, 3D modelers, designers, architects, um, you know, uh, weavers, um, and things like that. Uh, nothing in advertising gets made alone. You're usually working with uh, a production team, a director, other creatives, almost always. Uh, and so you have to be able to collaborate and work with others and not have an ego and be able and willing to let the idea change and morph along the way to get better and better. And, uh, that's something that I bring into my art practice and so whenever I collaborate with somebody, you have to, I, I'm, I'm willing to let go of some of the control of, um, you know, going from the original vision. In a way, it's very boring for something to go from the original vision of what you had in your head to what it comes out as in the final product, whether it be uh, a print or a painting or a sculpture. Uh, and it's always nice uh, to have it develop along the way and happy accidents happen and you learn more and you say, oh, wow, this is so much better than what I had originally thought of. Yeah, that's interesting because I know a lot of artists who feel sort of the opposite way, right? That are just so housed yeah. in their own minds that they want to be the, the absolute control of everything that they do. Yeah. But it seems like you come at it from a different angle. The, the, the opposite, like uh, l- losing control uh, is where the magic happens. Hmm. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's um, so in, in that sense, you know, you, you, well, what is it? The 10,000 hours, everybody's mm. got their 10,000 hours, uh, that are there that they're masters in, in their own domain, in their own craft. And I, I can't be uh, a master of all these different crafts, but if I envision something or have something in mind, I'll give you an example of, uh, like, uh, this series of miniature paintings that I did with, uh, collaborated with this miniature artist in, uh, Pakistan. His name is Kosar Iqbal. He's wonderful. And he's just like a fantastic miniaturist. And I came up with the concept and I comped it up in Photoshop. Uh, and then I would, uh, I, I sent him the different layers and outlines and things like that. Uh, and then he took it and um, 
not didn't really just kind of trace over it, but like brought his own vision into it and his own style and his own hand and his own technique. And the final painting looked so different from the Photoshop thing that I that, that I made, but it was uh, so unique and original. Uh, I thought that was like a, a, a good example of that. And we've gone on to do a couple more and I've been meaning to work with him more and more, but there are only so many hours in the day and there's only so many projects one can do. <laughs> I'm back in advertising now. So I did a stint of about three years of no advertising, just all art. So in 2013, uh, quit my day job and started making art full time and which was a, a really freeing experience because I got to discover my voice and find all of that. Along the way, I also blew through all our savings. Right. <laughs> that's so, the, the problem of being an artist sometimes. That's the problem. Uh, right. I have a very, very supportive wife who's amazing and said uh, to me, you know, when this journey started, it's like, hey, you want to you, you find yourself through it. And um, if you want to start your art journey, now's the time to do it. When are you going to do it? When you're 16, you're getting near retirement or, you know, so do it now. Uh, we have some savings. Uh why not use that uh, in a way where it's beneficial? And so, and so we did. And I realized, and of course, she at the time thought that um, you know things would just be like Jeff Koons, and uh, you, you make a lot of money. It's fine. You make <laughs> it up. And I, th- I naively thought that too, and I, not Jeff Koons level, but just like, yeah, I should be able to earn an income, earn a living, and um, not spend all our savings. But uh, you know, three years later. Uh, all our blew all our savings and fortunately I had a fantastic relationship with my old agency and my old boss Andy Hirsch who uh, was kind enough to invite me back uh, so it, it was great that I got to go back into advertising and I got to not only go back I got to go back with the understanding that I can continue making art and he was like you know hey man go go express go make go do your thing as long as the clients are happy go do your thing so um, now I, I, I juggle these worlds where mm-hmm. I um, keep my clients happy and I, and I love that side of my world and my life and my creativity too. And at the same time, I have a creative expression uh, in art, which I make and sell and do work for, uh, do work in as well, but it doesn't necessarily pay all my bills or anything. Well, I think but, that's pretty uh, common for kind of, most artists, yeah, right? That's a very common thing. But it took me a while to discover that 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 journey. I want to talk about some of the art that you created during this journey. Um, and so much of your art has to do with storytelling as well. Maybe we can start with the story of Space Mosque. Could you explain what Space Mosque is, or maybe even just tell us the story of Space Mosque and we can go from there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So again, storytelling just stems from advertising, right? Mm-hmm. I, I loved the idea of these beautiful European commercials that these two minute commercials that tell this beautiful story of a little boy and something happens and then da 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 insert logo at the end kind of thing. Uh, but, and filmmaking and all of that. And so storytelling has always been something I've been attracted to and to portray that visually in a cool and interesting way has kind of always, um, been my goal. And I guess this was, uh, an, uh, an amalgamation of a bunch of different, inspirations that all kind of hit me in the span of one week uh, and out came this concept called Space Mosque. Uh, but it was, I guess, stemmed from this one phrase uh, that I read, which was, if all your prayers were answered, would it change the world or just yours? Hmm. Um, and at the time I had just, um, the film The Arrival had just come out 
and I had just finished reading Childhood's End um, by Arthur C. Clarke. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had seen this uh, Hiroshi Sugimoto exhibit in Paris the year before in around 2014. Uh, and there was this, my son was going to Islamic Sunday school where he was learning about the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, his night journey to the heavens. And all of these things just, you know, kind of comboed up in my head and, um, uh, you know, released this idea of, uh, in the near, of, of the story that happened in the near past, this global phenomenon um, occurred. And since it's since been erased from our memories, but like due to the arrival of this strange, mysterious vessel from the future, the spiritual machine, every human being on the planet had one prayer answered every 24 hours. And um, this vessel is this, um, you know, it, the very first few, uh, it, it morphed and changed and everybody saw it differently based on their own biases and fears. And the very first few people that saw it were Islamophobic uh uh, journalists or uh, news anchors, um, you know, Fox types. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they saw this hovering mosque uh, in the sky. And so they dubbed it Space Mosque. And the name kind of stuck through uh, through the phenomenon. But it was really this spiritually conscious, this, um, you know, vessel, this uh, energy station, this prayer gateway. And, you know, good things happened and bad things happened during that time. Um, you know, money, everybody started praying for it. Everybody started getting it. Inflation happened. And before you know it, uh, more and more of that happened. And prayer soon became the de facto global currency. Mm -hmm. And what happens in a world where prayer is the currency, uh, is that, um, one of the things that happened was the, the corporations started creating, uh, they discovered the children have, um, a, a higher propensity to get their prayers answered because of the purity of their intentions. And so that created rise of the prayer farms and the prayer farms, um, that sort of cropped up all around the world, uh, was enough for, um, people to, to, to riot. And we believe that enough people prayed for the vessel to go away that one day it vanished. And all we're left with are a few artifacts and news clippings and, um, you know, just some, some, some engine components and parts of, uh, people's stories. Um, and so the exhibit was really a combination of all these different things, uh, left for us to, uh, put the pieces together. And it was done in this parafictional kind of way, which is obviously this is all fiction, but it was made to look real. So for example, one of the things I had was a newspaper, um, uh, like a front page and a back page of a newspaper from Pakistan in English and in Urdu. One was, I think, three or four days after the arrival. Uh, one was about 40 or 50 days after the arrival. And the world had changed in that time. And so it captured articles and things like that. There are just other um, sculptures that were in the exhibit that were, you know, one was the wheel engine component. The other was the prayer catcher. And then there were some renderings uh, that were, uh, these prayer capsules and uh, objects that, you know, that there were just spiritual machines and we don't really know what exactly they did. Um, but I worked with, again, in collaboration, uh, I worked with uh, uh, this fantastic architect. His name is Ferda Kolotan and uh, he teaches at Pratt and uh, I approached him and he and I 
like just sort of connected on this uh, idea of spiritual machines. And he brought in his class uh, of Pratt students and together briefed them on this idea of spiritual machines and it supplied them with um, this arsenal of 3D assets, of Islamic architecture, mm -hmm. of patterns, of sci-fi spaceship components and parts and stuff like that. And these architecture students went to town and they had you know, dozens of really cool prototypes and concepts and sketches and renderings and things like that, of which uh, we chose, Ferd and I chose about 12 of them, and then we further refined them. And two or three of them went on to become sculptures, and others went on to become photorealistic renderings of these artifacts of that time. So this whole idea just sort of hit you <laughs> one day? You just It just all came to you at once? Or have you been sketching out different parts of this idea? About for a week. About wow, a week. that's amazing. Uh, it came together in the course of a week. I would talk to, so by this time I was, I think, um, back in advertising around mm -hmm. 2016. And so my um, my partner, my copywriting partner at work, uh, Eddie Van Bloom, uh, who's like, you know, he's a brother, a dear friend, and uh, also uh, just, you know, fellow sci-fi lover and thinker. Uh, and also um, uh, another colleague of ours, Leila, uh, you know, we would just kind of sit around and just, uh, you know, I would say, well, what if that, well, what if that, what if that, and they would be, you know, sounding boards and, uh, they would sometimes throw out an idea I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. What if you did this and that? And then I would just go back and I would sit and write and just, you know, try all these. It just kind of poured out. I don't know. Uh, it, I think we all need, uh, at least I need, I need a sounding board. Um, sometimes I talk to my wife about stuff and I know it doesn't, really so sometimes it helps sometimes you just need to hear yourself speak yeah um, and it seems like you've generated a whole world based on this idea now whether that's sculptures or prints or i even noticed that you've developed a, a line of footwear of, i did is, is i did part a line of space of mosque as well yeah yeah so one of the stories was of this little boy in peshawar pakistan so one thing that was very important to me was to make this story a global story Mm -hmm. And not just happen in New York or LA or DC or London, you know, I wanted it to happen in Cairo. I wanted it to happen in Pakistan. I wanted it, to, you know, so in different parts of the world. Uh, so this was one story uh, of uh, a boy where I'm from, from a, a village um, near Peshawar in Pakistan. And, uh, you know, it's a story of he had a, uh, his parents were, were separated and he really missed his estranged father and prayed for a way to be able to spend more time with him. And so the next morning, his sandals grew wings. And so he would, after school, fly to go see his father every day uh, in, in, in a village that was about an hour away and then hang out with him and then fly back. And that was his daily ritual. And in a way, he got to have both his parents back uh, by his sandals growing wings. Um, at the time, uh, a, friend of, uh, a friend of mine, Ajay, uh, put me on to this company called Marhor. Uh, and um, he had some sandals that uh, Marhor had sent uh, to another common friend of ours, uh, Riz, Riz Ahmed. And Riz had a couple of extra pairs and he gave them to Ajay. And then I saw them and I'm like, what's this company? And then he told me about them. And so I reached out to Marhor and these guys are amazing. Wakas and Sidra are the, the founders of Marhor. And um, they are also the founders of Adam Sneakers, uh, mm. um, which is another great brand that we can talk about too. Um, 
but they said they were all into the idea and the concepts and collaborating and immediately put me in touch uh, with their head of design, uh, Noor, in, in Pakistan. And her and I worked together on designing the wings. And then the first ones we made were these the sculptures. So they had much large, larger wings. Uh, and so we did that in two different colors. And those were used as, uh, as art objects. But after the show happened, the show, um, the Space Moss show was at uh, Icon Gallery in February 2019. Uh, it, it opened uh, in January, sorry, uh, at Icon Contemporary in, in New York. And it was um, sort of my, 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 my first uh, gallery show there. Uh, after the show happened, uh, Marhor and I got back in touch and we said, hey, let's make a series of wearables of these shoes. And so we did. And they're these, you know, very comfortable sneaker sandals, winged sneaker sandals uh, that were uh, limited edition that we did for the first year. And now we're in our second year and we've opened it out. We've brought the price down a bit and introduced a new color. And this has kind of got me into, into fashion. And mm. now I'm working with Wakas and Sidra, who not only own Marhor, but also own another brand here in the U.S. called Adams. And they make fantastic sneakers that come in quarter sizes because who to thunk it? the left and right foot is never the same. Oh yeah. I had that same and, problem. And so they came out with quarter sizes. And if you, you know, you mm. get a pair of their sneakers, they send you three pairs, a quarter up, a quarter down in your size and you mix and match whatever fits you. You keep the rest of your return. Uh, great concept, very minimalist sneaker. Very cool. Um, they're also doing masks now. In fact, they've done, I think probably 200,000 masks so far and they got written up for best material in masks. Anyhow, they're really into design. So are you doing uh, so, another version with um, them? Yeah, yeah, we're we're working on some new uh, on some new stuff now. We're working on some fashion um, items uh more in uh, in clothing. And uh so that's kind of opened up another area for me and uh, I I I think this um this this, this notion of Sufism uh, of looking inside yourself and this idea of thinking of sci-fi Sufism and uh, all of that of this this constant search of uh, search within uh, has has kind of branched out into these multiple mediums and forms and fashion is no different and that's kind of what I'm exploring these days. Yeah, it's super interesting just the idea that this one storyline has expanded out. It feels like it's jettisoned out all these different outputs of art and design and fashion. Absolutely. Um, I'm working on a graphic novel right now with Eddie. Uh, oh, the, really? So a Space yeah, Moss graphic my, novel. Yeah, my, 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 my copywriting partner um, in advertising, uh, he and I are working on you know break, breaking out the story uh, in that form. Uh, I've also been uh, in talks with some people uh, to, in development of a, of a TV show. I was going to say, yeah. It. And so that was kind of happening and hot in 2019. And then, uh, you know, these things kind of uh, dwindle. I don't think it's dead yet. I just need to get back on the horse. And uh, Maybe and, the comic. Maybe the comic could lead to a film or a TV show, actually. Yeah. There, there was an interest in a film, and there was an interest in the, as a TV show, uh, but you know, you gotta, you gotta really sit down and focus and write and do all of that. And between advertising and art and uh, you know, family with two kids, it gets, it gets hard. So you have to like pick and choose your your projects carefully. And uh, I, I've begun to say no to myself a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like, can't do that. Don't, don't even think about starting that. So I have. 
I, I probably have a dozen projects that are sitting in the back burner that I need to get to um, that hopefully I will one day. Can you tell us a little bit about your series, uh, Insider, Outsider, and Gravity Rugs as well? I know you work with other artisans who have mastered weaving. Uh, what is the significance of working with this medium for you personally? Um, the medium, uh, well, it's again, it was just conceptual. And for me, concept uh, dictates the medium and not the other way around. Mm -hmm. uh, so the idea of being an insider-outsider is really kind of who I define myself as. I think I have it in my bio of just, um, you know, being able to be comfortable in um, achieving a sense, I'll just read it, achieving a sense of belonging while being out of place, finding happiness in a state of temporary permanence and recontextualizing existing historical and cultural narratives within the contemporary. And I feel like that's what an insider outsider is and being able to straddle that line in happiness and comfort uh, and and being of two places and being of two homes and having all of that. And just um, so this idea of um, these traditional patterns, this Persian rug pattern kind of came to me. And I was like, well, what if there's like a, this, uh, what is the ultimate icon of an alien? And that's a UFO. <laughs> and so like, what if that was slapped in the center of a Persian rug? And I, I, it was like just a thought that happened while I was in a walk one day. Uh, and I immediately just came back home, jumped on the computer and comped it together in Photoshop and then started the process of trying to find a weaver and learning about weaving and all of that. And of course, because rugs are such a, a popular, uh, thing in Pakistan and, uh, Iran and Afghanistan and where I'm from in Pakistan as well. So it just made, um, uh, I guess an eth there was an ethnic connection that was uh, that that I could speak to straight away, so I had license to make this. Uh, but uh, conceptually, it was you know pun intended out there, right? So <laughs> and it resulted in a, what looks like a nine foot long rug with a giant UFO in the middle of it. Pretty much, it's this Persian rug, uh, a very ornate Persian rug with a UFO in the middle of it, and that was the first of uh, my 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 woven works series, and um, I did that with a with a guy Ahmad in Pakistan, uh, and so the first few were uh, done and woven in Pakistan, but then since then I've gone on and worked with weavers in Afghanistan, in Iran, and I've kind of gone into this. Uh, sci-fi Sufism depth of finding yourself uh, realm uh, and, and made other woven works uh, uh, through the process. Like I've got a series of space-time continuum rugs um, or the uh, gravity rugs. Um, and I think the space-time continuum rug is probably the one that's most self-reflective of, you know, peeling back the layers, going in, finding that additional dimension that's inside you and really getting to know yourself uh, and, and through that finding faith and, uh, you know, finding your definition of spiritual connection and not this, uh, you know, silly punitive rules of uh, heaven and hell that we have um, that uh, I, I don't necessarily adhere to. What were the conversations like with these artisans uh, about creating a UFO rug or a sort of sci-fi inspired uh, rug? It's so, it's so important to me. Um, that the people that I work with um, understand the concept of what it is because that then breaks this uh, barrier of 
you know, uh, client and uh, uh, I, I, I guess just somebody uh, who's crafting something for mm-hmm. me. I, I really wanted them to connect with the piece. Fortunately, everybody knows what it's like to be an outsider. Uh, and so with some of these weavers, for example, I would um, sit and ask them, well, when was the last time you felt like an outsider? And they would say, ah, uh, every day. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, what, what, you can be an, outsi- uh, an outsider of, of religion. You can be an outsider of sect. You could be just somebody who's moved into this city or a village and feel like an outsider or just be, you know, socially, culturally, all that. And um, so everybody kind of connected to that. And once they understood what a UFO was and what an alien is, and, um, you know, there, there's a lot in um, in Islam that talks about the stars and uh, space and other beings. Like we have beings called jinn, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they understand that there are otherworldly beings. Uh, and, and so bringing those two things together, it, it kind of made sense to them. And in no way has this been blasphemy uh, of any kind, but it's just all about this uh, spiritual search for yourself. But the concept uh, of UFOs was something that had not been necessarily explored before. I mean, like in the way that no, we as Westerners might see UFOs. Right, right, right. Exactly, hmm. exactly. So th- in that sense, they didn't know what a spaceship was. Uh, so I, I would have to explain to them just, just, just like a bus or a truck or a car a spaceship is a vessel that brings beings from one planet to the other. And you, then one of these conversations was had at night and we'd look at the stars and we'd kind of talk about, well, that's, you know, that's Venus, that's Neptune. And these are all planets and sort of the solar system and connectivity. And, uh, I've, at the time, I think I had on my phone, some verses from the Quran that talked about different planets too uh so that sort of again pun intended wove (laughs) wove it all together right and some of their initial works were so beautiful and intricately made uh but because they were not traditional rugs traditional rugs are made in quarter uh quarter size uh, like a, a quarter of a rug which is then duplicated and flipped and then flipped again so it's this in islamic ge- geometry and design uh it's all about infinite patterns so even if you ever look at a persian rug and you just take a quarter of it you'll notice that it's been flipped horizontally and then flipped again vertically and you can continue doing that into an infinite pattern which is the connectivity to god uh so as god is infinite patterns and in geometry are are infinite uh, there's not, there's no real, tradi- like a re- a figurative uh, painting and depicting a, the human figure was uh, not allowed in Islam uh, because that was the, very easily led its led its way into idolatry. Uh, so they just um, you know killed that part of it from the early days. Since then, you know, if you look at mobile miniatures and everything, figures have made their way into Islamic art for sure. Uh, but the idea of geometric patterns uh, and infinite geometric patterns has always been uh, like uh, uh, very prominent in, in Islamic art. And so uh, that, that they understood, but these UFOs and the gravity rug and space-time continuum rugs, these aren't your typical rugs. So many times uh, the rug would be halfway done only to realize that, oh, this pattern isn't, right or it just it's broken and we'd have to redo it 
So the first few times it took months, uh, sometimes it, it took nine months, like a baby, literally, uh, for the first drug to come out. And since then, uh, I've developed, you know, better, better processes. And now the works get uh, woven in about three to four months. It's interesting. The idea of these patterns is never like always reflecting patterns. Remind me of the universe a little bit. And then you have plopped the UFO right in the middle of them. Yeah, absolutely. There's something kind of beautiful about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, where are the rugs now? Where are they living? Uh, some of them um, live in collectors' homes. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them live uh, here in my studio. I have, I think, about uh, three or four rugs in my studio. And uh, the rest are... Um, I make the additions of three. And so for like the space-time continuum, I have uh, one edition left. Uh, for the UFOs, I think I have one edition left in the gravities. I have one of each, oh, great. basically, artist proofs. And I think there's like you know, a, a one edition of each left. But I'm working on new ones these days. I'm very excited. Uh, I've got a, maybe another three or four new pieces coming out, hopefully this year, um, within the space-time continuum series. I want to touch on one more work. Um, you did some. You did a work called "Not a Bug Splat," uh, and I think that title is very interesting and it tells us a lot about what the work's about. Can you tell us how this piece came to be and what the piece is about? Absolutely. This is another perfect example of art and advertising holding hands and joining together. I think this is one of those fusion projects that really, um, you know, work well. And this was not a project I, I, I did alone. This was very much a collaborative project with. Uh, for other people, um, and Ali Rez, uh, Akash Gol, uh, Assam Khaled, um, and then uh, Insia Said, uh, and then uh, you know we also uh, and and of course uh, Jr. Uh, and a bunch of other people in Pakistan as well. So the, the this was around 2014. This was probably my first or second art project uh, after quitting advertising. Um, and at the time, uh, Obama was, uh, was droning, uh, a, a lot of areas in Afghanistan and, and Pakistan. And, um, the, we discovered that, um, drone operators called kills bug splats because that's what they looked like on their screens, on their monitors. And so we really wanted to challenge this. And, uh, so we did this, um, project of we took this uh girls this took a portrait of a little girl she was eight years old her family was uh destroyed in a drone attack and we printed her portrait her face uh, about the size of a football field and we laid it out in the bombed areas of pakistan so every time a drone operator flew by and looked down on the ground they would not see uh you know a bug they would see a child's face, um, and so this was um, this was one of those projects that just came together so seamlessly. Uh, we, you know, asked Jr. to be part of his Inside Out movement, uh, and so uh, he was all into it, and he and uh, gave us permission. And so we used his his dots, his Bende dots, as the background of this girl, and um, you know, we 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 did it in Pakistan, and then we filmed it and shot it, a photograph of it from a drone's perspective. And I think within, within a day of that happening, this thing just kind of blew up yeah, of course. and, uh, it was, you know, covered on every 
news and media outlet for the next two or three months. I still get messages for it and everything. So we weren't prepared for the media frenzy that would follow, but it really made, we, we, we like to think it made an impact. Um, now drone, drone bombings, uh, have decreased significantly, uh, about, you know, a few months after that. Uh, we, we like to think we had an impact on that. Now, no, not saying this changed policy or anything, but uh, we have a case study video. And in the case study video, we speak to a drone operator. And he said, if I had seen this, I would not have pulled the trigger. Wow. And so that's, that's the, you know, it, that's what make, made the project um, so, so important to us. Um, yeah. How did you get in touch with the child who's pictured in the piece? Uh, that was something that Ali and Assam did uh, in, in Pakistan. They worked uh, with uh, an organization called Foundation for Fundamental Rights, and they oh, um, introduced us to some journalists who had taken photos uh, and some footage uh, of, of this little girl. And we actually couldn't find the little girl. We just had her photograph, and so we used her photograph. Wow. Uh, but it was it was through the Foundation for Fundamental Rights, uh, an NGO in Pakistan. And are you continuing to do uh, pieces that are rooted in activism as well going forward? Y yes. So this this group, um, we call ourselves the NABS group. Uh, it's like our little WhatsApp name, which is a not a bug splat group. Um, Akash, Ali, um, Bex, uh, Assam and myself, four of us have done um have worked on a bunch of projects since none of them have really, oh, no, I wouldn't say none. I would say a couple of projects have come to being uh, since then. Uh, there was a project around uh, child brides. Uh, there was a project around um, children's education um, that, that was done. But these were, I was less involved in, in both these projects, uh, but, and Ali and um, Assam and Vex were. Uh, but yeah, there, one was a, a bulletproof book, uh, like a notebook for children to go yeah. to school in, um, as, as, as a response to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to the, uh, to the Taliban and other, um, militants in Pakistan stopping girls from going to school. And the uh, uh, other project was about child brides. We've worked on a project uh, that we've tried to get off the ground in Israel-Palestine. That has just been uh, very difficult to do. It's probably going to be impossible to do. Um, but um, And then we're working on something right now uh, for uh, fundraising for Beirut, Lebanon. I love that all of your projects seem to begin with a story or the impetus is this story in your mind. And then it, it comes out in so many different formats. I think um, people uh, connect once there's when there's a story yeah. because that, that they bring themselves into it or it's just a form of human connection. If you see something cold and like, oh, that's too bad. The whales are dying. Uh, <laughs> but, but, if, but, but if there's a story that's connected to it, then, you know, we feel deeper. There's an emotional right. connection. And that's that. That's what good art does. I feel um, that's what um, well, good art gets us to ask questions, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, good storytelling gets us to ask questions as well. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know I speak to a lot of artists, and many 
start their projects purely from an emotional standpoint or a figurative standpoint. But to start with story, you can develop such a rich world. And, and you've seen that with all the works that you're creating. And I'm really anxious to see how Space Mosque continues to grow in the future. I mean, I can't wait for that comic to come out so I can dive deeper into the story. Uh, it's Yes, I'm very excited about it, too. I taught myself the software called Daz 3D, uh, which is basically these... Um, so I'm trying to figure out the, the look for this comic book. Uh, I've already figured... I've, uh, over the course of this time, I've developed all these different spaceships. But now, what's the inside of these spaceships look like? And so I think I'm going to have to work with architects on creating that but then what do these characters and people look like and how do i make this graphic novel look different than other graphic novels um and along the way i taught myself this free software called daz 3d uh which is fantastic where you can just buy figures um and pose them in a variety of different ways and environments and things like that so you can really be uh treated like a camera and a director so you're you can move around in this 3d world and then you can render that out and uh, sketch over it and make this 2d 3d hybrid and i think that's kind of that's going to be the look of this uh, of this graphic novel have people used uh, that before to create graphic novels i've never seen it i mean i know that software somewhat but i've never seen it used in a print version i haven't seen it done well yeah that's i have not seen it done well I can't. So, do you have a release date on that yet, or is that going to be in the in the works for a while? Man, I'd love I'd love it for for it to be in the next year, yeah, or at least the first issue in the next year. All um, right, well, look forward to that. Um, yeah, be- before we go, Eddie, Sax, that's, that, that's a deadline for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll put it in the Instagram, so now people will be waiting for it. Um, thanks so much. This has been so wow, has amazing. Been Five minutes already. Well, we're not quite done yet. I have a series of rapid fire questions that I like to ask every guest. That is not even about necessarily the questions aren't about your work, but more just to get to know you better a little bit. Um, so these are the state of the art rapid fire questions. They're, I guess, somewhat related to your work. So here we go. Um, what is your favorite sci-fi movie? Favorite sci-fi film. Um, Oh, God, you can't ask me that. Um, <laughs> I know. These questions are meant to put you on the spot. So, Or some of your favorites, I guess. We don't have to say that ultimate favorite. Yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. Uh, let's just see. Uh, well, since the arrival really um, sparked the uh, Space Mosque, I'll, I'll, I'll say that for now. Yeah, I love that but movie. But there, there's just too many to name, so I'll just kind of leave it at that. Do you believe in aliens? Yes, What's I do. I, be, I believe in other beings and for, uh, beings that uh, that live out there or live in other dimensions. Absolutely, um, it would be. It, it's there's just there are just too many stars and planets and worlds <laughs> out there for us to not believe that. I agree with you on that one. Uh, if you could have your one prayer for from Space Mosque, what would it be and why? Um. Uh, it, it would be to have the ability the, the vessel would not answer this prayer, uh, but it would be to have the ability to create and keep creating love and impact of the world, uh, impact through love, to create impact through love. Well, that's a great place to leave it, actually. But before we leave it there, what's your favorite uh, karaoke song? <laughs> uh, my 
the one I do well or just okay I'm just gonna say the first song that came to my yeah. head and I don't know why Christaberg Lady in Red oh, oh my gosh I want to hear a version of that for sure someday I, in person I don't know why I just said that that's no, great I hope Lady in the Red appear <laughs> Lady in Red appears somewhere in the Space Mosque universe at some point <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it just has. It just has now. We're, we'll, we'll find a spot for it. That's great. Maybe we can go out on Lady in Red here. Although, yeah, uh, what I've done, I'll tell you. I, I know how that came out. Um, I've yeah. recently started uh, printing out all. Uh, so I very consciously like on Instagram. I only like things that I know I'm going to want to go back to and look at for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry, friends, for not liking all your food photos, uh, <laughs> but they're not inspiring to me. And so what I've done recently in my studio space is start printing out little thumbnails of all of those liked images. And there are tens of thousands of them. And I have them splattered all over my walls. Um, and so I just looked at um, an image of this red sky. And so um, with this woman over there, so Lady in Red, I think must have come from that. Well, that makes sense. Uh, (laughs) Sax, thanks so much for joining us. Um, How do people find your work online? So we're going to post a link to this in the description of this Uh, podcast. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Sax underscore underscore S-A-K-S underscore underscore or on my website, saxafridi.com. And if you want to send me an email, I'm saxafridi at gmail.com. Great. And we'll stay tuned for the release of Space Mosque coming soon. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Sax. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. Uh, You can always follow me at Gabe BC. Uh, If you have any ideas or suggestions or comments you want to relay to us, you can send me an email at Gabe at thestateoftheart.org. We're happy to read some questions on the air or uh, communicate directly with you through social media at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram. State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Wesson Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire and Vanessa Wilson is our producer. And I hope that they're all doing well and uh, I've been communicating with them a little bit and they seem like they're safe and healthy. And I hope our audience is also uh, doing well and staying indoors and being safe. So we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks.